On September 4th, Gerald Flurry initiated an important new endeavor in Jerusalem, Israel. Learn how the newly created Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology continues the legacy of Herbert W. Armstrong next on The Key of David with Gerald Flurry. Greetings, everyone. In today's program, we're going to watch Mr. Gerald Flurry's address from the September 4th opening of the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology. Before we listen to the address, though, we wanted to tell you a little bit about our new institute. The Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology is an educational and scientific organization headquartered in Jerusalem, Israel. The mission of the institute is to showcase Israel's biblical archaeology. As you know, Israel, and especially Jerusalem, is the land of the Bible, the home of epic figures like David and Solomon and the great priests and prophets and the Messiah himself. Across Israel, decades of archaeological excavations have uncovered numerous biblical sites and artifacts, far more than most people are probably aware. These awesome discoveries support the biblical narrative and they bring the Bible to life. On our website, armstronginstitute.org, we publish articles as well as maps, photos and illustrations on biblical archaeology and history. You can also sign up to receive daily email updates or listen to Let the Stones Speak, our weekly archaeology podcast. We also publish this 32-page full-color print magazine, also titled Let the Stones Speak. We give tours of ancient Jerusalem too, so if you plan to visit Israel and if you'd like to see the ancient homes of David and Solomon, sign up for a tour at the website. Finally, the Institute also sponsors archaeological excavations in Jerusalem. For many years, we dug alongside Dr. Alat Mazar and helped her uncover some astonishing finds. Today, we dig alongside some of Dr. Mazar's colleagues from Hebrew University. We believe our new institute, which is situated just a few hundred yards from the residences of Israel's president and prime minister, is going to help us expand our archaeology work in Jerusalem. Many of our friends in Israel joined us for the Institute opening. These included Dr. Mazar's family, as well as officials and archaeologists from Hebrew University, including Professor Yosef Garfinkel and Professor Uzi Liebner. We were also joined by Melanie Phillips, the journalist, as well as officials from the City of David and Israel's Antiquity Authority. The Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology is named after Herbert W. Armstrong, the 20th century humanitarian educator and minister. Mr. Armstrong traveled the globe, visiting scores of world leaders as an unofficial ambassador for world peace. But Mr. Armstrong's greatest affection was always for Jerusalem, and he did a powerful work in Israel. When Mr. Armstrong died in 1986, Gerald Flurry picked up his mantle. Today, Mr. Flurry continues Mr. Armstrong's work and legacy in Jerusalem, a legacy we hope will continue to expand and grow through the efforts of the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology. This is certainly a, a very special day, and we're just happy to have all of you with us. I wanted to uh, 
take a, just a little different angle to, than the other speakers to tell you a little bit about our history with uh, Mr. Armstrong and the Israeli leaders as well. In that one decade, he met all of the uh, leaders of Israel, as far as I can tell. And he, of course, was the founder of Ambassador College. It all began with uh, Dr. Benjamin Mazar launching this most significant excavation ever in Jerusalem. And so that's, that's something that's very impressive. And then December 1968, Hebrew University and the Antiquities Authority and Mr. Armstrong made a 50-50 financial deal and began this magnificent excavation that still astonishes a lot of people. Dr. Mazar had been president of Hebrew University for eight years. As we have got into this, we uh, find there's quite a lot of controversy <laughs> in uh, archaeology as there is other professions. Well, I want to show you something that I think is really rare, and that is the relationship with the Israeli leaders and Herbert W. Armstrong. I think it's a history that I uh, studied into more deeply, and, and it's a history that really, I think, is worth remembering and has some tremendous lessons for us. And of course, we all have different ideas about that, but Still, in this sense, it is our history, <laughs> any way you look at it. So I want to discuss the relationship between the Israeli leaders and Mr. Armstrong. I'm just going to quickly go through some uh, slides here. This is where it all began, and you can see Dr. Mazar and Mr. Armstrong talking together. And then the second one. This is Dr. Mazar. They had an honorary dinner by the Japanese ambassador to Israel in 1974. The two men enjoyed a close friendship for many years. Then number three, this is Mayor Teddy Kollek, arm in arm, a Jewish custom among close friends. And then Prime Minister Golda Meir, Mr. Armstrong gave her a beautiful Steuben crystal there in the Knesset office. And he had this to say about her, and I wanted to mention this. He said, without apology to anyone, I have to attribute to this so common, yet so uncommon, a woman, humanly, the quality of greatness such as possessed by so very few. And then he said emphatically, that is not flattery, I never flatter. And that's the way he felt about that great leader. And this next one is Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, I'll say a little bit more about him later. And then this last one is Menachem Begin hugging uh, Mr. Armstrong. And he, on that occasion, had returned from a uh, meeting in uh, Tel Aviv. And he stopped the, in the meeting and left when he heard that Mr. Armstrong was in town. And he went up there to meet him, and they gave, gave him this big uh, bear hug. And then Mr. Armstrong said, well, you shouldn't have left your meeting coming just to meet me. And he said, Mr. Armstrong, I would, I would get up at 2 a.m. in the morning to meet you. So here we have an interesting history to me, and the more I studied into this uh, particular subject and tried to clarify it as much as I could in my own mind, Mr. Armstrong visited Jerusalem 50 times in four years to give you an idea of how much he loved Jerusalem. 
And I think all of the Israeli leaders also that he worked with loved Jerusalem. And that's why I think they had an unusual harmony. And uh, in looking into it, I, I, I began to try to study their conversations between uh, themselves mainly. Not, this was not going to the public, not at least at this, that time. And uh, I think you'll find it surprising what, what they said to each other and what they talked about. Now, I find that very interesting and I hope the rest of you will. It's something that I, I think many people should know and I think there's almost nobody that really understands this and really uh, has put these uh, issues together. When Mr. Armstrong was here, he, he did refer to the Bible. He never did refer to any Bible but the Hebrew Bible. These discussions began, let's say, just among the, these leaders, but then in 1974, somebody made it public, and that was Dr. Mazar. He wanted people to know what they were talking about, <laughs> what they believed, and they shared a certain faith that I think uh, can be very helpful, especially in an age like this. But here's what Mr. Armstrong said. Uh, he said, Ambassador College has just been given the great honor and responsibility to uh, be a part of this archeology span planning here in uh, Israel. And he says, not only a great honor, it is a great honor, it's a great honor to us to be a part of this. And it is, in our minds, a spectacular archeology span project that we've been involved with. Mr. Armstrong went on to talk about this responsibility. And I think in, the, in one sense, this uh, great honor and responsibility, especially the responsibility has a lot to do with this institution today. We're, uh, I think a big part of it is this uh, institute because we felt like it, well, we, we do have a responsibility to try to sustain biblical archeology. span And it really, in some ways, is not as nearly as successful as it should be the way we look at it. So uh, I wanna give you just some quotes, quite a few quotes today of, of just that from these men and they were really just mostly, as I said, among themselves at this time. And, and then see what you think about what they said. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to preach to you. I'm just trying to tell you some history. <laughs> this, is, this is our history and, and, and the history of many others around here and around here today. Mr. Teddy Collick presented Mr. Armstrong with a silver and gold sculpture of David defeating Goliath. And he said to Mr. Armstrong, all your life you have been a fighter of giant untruths. And he said, and as you regard yourself a descendant of David, and rightly so, so here in the city of David, we would like to present you with this symbolic sculpture. And here's what Mr. Armstrong replied. Jerusalem was destined to become the greatest city in the world. And in fact, in the whole universe, this city is someday going to be the capital of the universe because this city is going to exist forever. Now again, I'm just 
letting you see what they were discussing. This was not public at all at that time, but that's a strong statement to make. What it kind of amazes me talking about this is that uh, you find a lot of agreement or at least no negative reactions to what Mr. Armstrong said. These men really were in a fascinating harmony, I thought, because you don't usually take a group like that and put them together and have them be so, uh, let's say, in sync, I guess I can say, with each other as these men were. Here's a Prime Minister Perez who said, talking about the King of Jordan, well, he really does want peace, but he has internal problems, and, and they were discussing that, and Mr. Armstrong said to him, this is the Prime Minister Perez. Mr. Armstrong responded that although more troubles were coming, world peace would ultimately come, but it isn't going to come easy. Mr. Armstrong is making these comments to the top leaders in Israel. And then we'll see as we go along, they really do love each other and have a certain faith in what, what they're talking about. In November 1974, the banquet there uh, in Tel Aviv, this was an honor to Mr. Armstrong. At last, it was going public, but why did it go public? And uh, that is fascinating as well. Dr. Mazar, he wanted this released, and they had officials there, parliamentarians, ambassadors, diplomats, and national journalists. They heard from Dr. Mazar, and here's what he told them. Now, this is what he said, and he was not in any way motivated by Mr. Armstrong to do this. This is what Dr. Mazar says, and he even used a scripture, just paraphrases it. But primarily, he has a firm faithfulness, as I think these leaders did. In the prophecy of Isaiah, paraphrasing Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3, and here's what it said. I'll just paraphrase it. And it shall come to pass in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and be exalted above the hills. And then it goes on to say, all nations shall flow into it. All nations, that's in, I think, the Bible most, most of you have. And think about this, what he's saying. <laughs> this is what Mr. Armstrong talked about, and he's paraphrasing it. And somehow, he wants to make this public. You'll have to read your own uh, issues into that. But he goes on to say, many people shall go up and come. Let us go up to the mountain of the, of the eternal and then it says, and he will teach us of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the eternal from Jerusalem. Mr. Armstrong and these men were thinking beyond, let's say, just uh, biblical archaeology, but they, had, uh, they, were, they were believing certain prophecies, and this is not a unique prophecy in your Bible. You, you'll find it there probably about 20 times, the same prophecy in many ways. But here it, it, there are all these nations, it says, are coming to be taught at Jerusalem. And that's going to bring peace to this world. Now, that's in Isaiah, and I think you're all probably familiar with that. 
And uh, he said, Mr. Armstrong has a certain faithfulness. But they did too. They did too. But, but I think you can imagine, let's just say if somebody believes Isaiah 2 and verses 2 and 3, they're going to be motivated, I think, to, uh, to have a certain hope in their lives. And I bring that out because I, this is our history, and these men, I believe, had a special hope in their lives because Dr. Mazar is trying to get this out to everybody. And I don't, I'm not saying you should, anybody should believe anything. I'm just saying this is a part of the Bible that a lot of people believe and are happy to hear something like that, I think. But the, the key part of this, I thought, was here is Mr. Armstrong the, the, uh, taking, taking all of this, this uh, archaeology and, and connecting it to Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. Obviously, he was interested in more than just biblical archaeology, but he did not take this to the public himself. Dr. Mazar did. Why did he do that? Well, maybe you, you and I will have to answer that individually, but he did get it out there, and he did think in his own mind, along with certainly some of those other leaders, quite a few of them, I would think, they wanted this message to get out to the people of Israel. It is, after all, uh, taken from the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. But he, he goes on to say in this public statement, he said, Mr. Armstrong loves and admires Jerusalem and wholeheartedly he believes in the future of Israel and the holy city and for him, Jerusalem, the unified Jerusalem is not only the metropolis of Israel and the spiritual center of monotheistic religions, but also the symbol of a great past and the hope, the hope of a better future of mankind. I found that moving because you see the problems in the world that I see. We all see them. But you don't see, in my mind, a lot of hope. And what are we going to do without hope? I don't think we're going to be doing maybe the positive things we should somewhere. We do need to find hope. And I think most of these men, these leaders of Israel, at that time believed what Mr. Armstrong was saying and they were reacting to it in a very positive way and, and, and most of the time. But again, uh, we, I don't know every detail of this, but uh, to me, they looked upon Jerusalem as being a city of hope. Now, that is uh, something that uh, I thought was interesting because it is a part of the history and some of it even I didn't understand myself, but it's all there, and, it's, uh, and if you put it all together, well, I feel like if people didn't have that, let's say, know all of the history, they might begin to think when they only had a tiny portion of the, the information, they might tend to misinterpret it. So I think it can be a, a, a certainly a, a help to certain people, and I think it's good for all of us to think about. But you will have to be, decide that yourself, of course. This is from Herbert Armstrong. I wanted to, you to get his take on this, how unusual it was that they were so 
in harmony here. How, how could it happen that they, they, were, they were so together and believed many similar truths as we look at it? Mr. Armstrong said this, the favor we were given in their eyes, the warmth of their attitude toward us was inspiring, astonishing, and most unusual. And I think it is. It's an unusual example. I think it is uh, maybe uh, getting more unusual. But that's the kind, something, they did know something about world peace. <laughs> and I, I'll just conclude by talking uh, briefly about what Mr. Armstrong did. He, he was called the uh, ambassador for world peace by these people. And he was called that because he met over 30 leaders of the world and not one of them did he approach to uh, visit with them. But they were leaders that wanted to know, to speak to somebody who they believed understood something about world peace, how to have it and how we'll never have it until, well, no matter how much we reject it according to the the Hebrew Bible, well, it, you're going to have peace. We're going to have world peace. And I don't think that's, a, that's something that's bad. Here is what this brochure, I got this from, uh, February 4th, 1975, bulletin. This brochure is to present in a pictorial fashion the activities of Mr. Armstrong throughout the world during the past seven years. As an ambassador for world peace, a term that people such as Prince Mikasa of Japan, Ambassador Ron of Israel, Minister Cole of Israel, Dr. Singh of the International Court, and others have used publicly to describe the work of Herbert W. Armstrong. Now, that work started almost exactly the time of this uh, great archaeology project we're talking about. And uh, the Israelis, even that, believed there really was uh, a real message coming from this unofficial ambassador for world peace, and that name was given to him by other people, not himself. Margaret Thatcher, just to name a few, Deng Xiaoping, Anwar Sadat, Hosni Mubarak, and many, many others. Mr. Armstrong would go to those people that these leaders really desperately saw that we need world peace. <laughs> I, I mean, we can look around. I see this world and I see a need for world peace. Somebody is uh, surely going to speak out and, uh, well, maybe talk about Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. That is a strong statement, and there are strong prophecies like that. And here's what these men said in the end toward Mr. Armstrong. This is from Yitzhak Rabin. He says, but of course, I know a great deal about you, talking about Mr. Armstrong. We all do deeply appreciate your interest in Israel. He had a great interest in Israel. And just boldly said one time that his first next thousand years he's going to be living here in Jerusalem <laughs> well that's the that's the kind of faith he had 
And these men are praising him for that. And I, I think had similar ideas. But he said, during the 45 minute meeting, the two leaders discussed Mr. Armstrong's friendship with Arab chiefs of state and peace among nations. And uh, Prime Minister Rabin thanked Mr. Armstrong for bringing other nations closer to Israel, especially the Arab nations. And you remember the story of Anwar Sadat and all of that. But he says, you, you brought those people closer to us. This is, a, this is a prime minister saying that. This is one of your leaders. It's not somebody that just knows, doesn't know what he's talking about. After he said these words, Mr. Armstrong said this. He was very appreciative of my efforts toward world peace. And I think that's a, certainly a, a noble cause. And I think those Israeli leaders were trying very hard to have peace. And you ask uh, Mrs. Mayer about what do you need most of all? And she said, what we need most of all is peace. What can we do if we don't have peace? We're going to be tearing things apart and tearing each other apart. Somehow we have to learn to have peace and have hope. And the, the uh, Hebrew Bible is just full of statements about that, as I think most of you know. But anyhow, just in conclusion, regardless of our archaeology views, I believe these leaders can teach us some lessons. I think we need to be aware of it. After all, it's a part of my history, and I wanted to make sure I understood it the best I could, and I've tried to relay that to you here today. And I think after all, we uh, people can push that aside or whatever they want to do, but uh, still, it is a part of our history, and I think it's worthwhile talking about from time to time. It's been very nice talking to you today. Herbert W. Armstrong was the most prominent religious leader of the 20th century. He had no political party, nor royal office. He possessed no personal fortune, nor was he backed by any state or corporate interest. Yet he met personally with dozens of heads of state. Many of these leaders held banquets in honor of Herbert W. Armstrong. How was all this possible? Why would the kings and prime ministers of the world invite Mr. Armstrong to speak before them? And why, of all the places he visited, did Jerusalem hold a special place in his heart? Request our free booklet, A Warm Friend of Israel, for the inside story of Herbert W. Armstrong's Iron Bridge partnership with the Jewish state. In one four-year span, he visited Israel 50 times. He supported biblical archaeology in and around the Holy City. He spoke privately with dozens of Israeli presidents and prime ministers about the hope-filled, eternal future of Jerusalem. And those leaders were so inspired by what Mr. Armstrong told them that they delivered his message of peace to the entire nation. Though Herbert W. Armstrong died in 1986, his warm friendship with Israel lives on. This remarkable history teaches valuable lessons to everyone, regardless of personal religious beliefs. The stunning relationship between Mr. Armstrong and Israeli leaders points the way to everlasting peace for all mankind. Request a warm friend of Israel today. You will also receive a free subscription to our bi-monthly Biblical Archaeology magazine, Let the Stone Speak. Join our eager and expanding audience of Bible students, history lovers, and archaeology enthusiasts. We believe that the dirt and dust of Israel are hiding some of the most sensational artifacts imaginable, discoveries that emphatically prove your Bible true beyond any doubt. All we have to do is listen closely as the stones speak. 
All our literature is available free of charge at no cost or obligation to you. Request A Warm Friend of Israel and a free subscription to Let the Stone Speak. Order now. For the free literature, call toll-free 1-800-339-7629. The preceding program was a paid presentation of the Key of David, brought to you by the Philadelphia Church of God.